Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. Uh, find us stuffweseen.com. That's right, it's a website and we're on it. And that's where you can find all the episodes uh, in case you are new to the program and you're like, I want to hear past episodes. Well, you can. You just need to go to the site. Um, also, hey, our fun little opening theme music that you hear almost every week, unless I'm doing something special, it's uh, from our good old pal, Craig Wasson. He generously donated a piece of music that he wrote years ago, um, and you get to hear it at the beginning and the end of every program. Shout out to our boy, the awesome Craig Wasson, who, by the way, if you're uh, like, who's this Craig Wasson guy, uh, you can check him in this uh, Brian De Palma movie, Body Double. It is playing on the Criterion channel this month as part of their um, sexy thrillers theme. Oh, yeah, the the erotic thrillers. And I got to say, as far as that genre goes, Body Double is... Hey, it's Teal, everybody, by the way. Teal. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm Jim. That's Teal. I didn't introduce you yet. I know I had a long thing because I always forget that I don't ever plug us as a show (laughs) and where you can find us at the beginning. So I'm Jim, that's Teal. Now I'm sorry. Tell us about the erotic thrillers. Uh, I was just going to say that as far as that genre goes, Body Double is pretty much in the top two or three, I'd say. They also doing Dress to Kill in that little segment? Because I've seen a whole bunch yeah. of the movies. So I haven't been paying as much attention because I've seen a lot of them. But De Palma is a master and Body Double is fantastic. And Craig Wasson's performance is uh, just it, it, it gets me involved in the movie. There's something so I don't know. I want I don't want to describe it. As well, he's a, the everyman. That's what I like. He's about. the everyman, but he has a little bit of a creep inside him too. <laughs> yeah, Craig, you're not a creep, but no, I, and, and I mentioned this creepy. to Craig at one point, and he's <laughs> I, I said that on the show at one point, and his response was, "Well, don't all men have a little bit of a creep inside them?" And I thought, "Yeah, there, okay, yeah. Craig." So he at least exactly. admits he openly admits that we're creepy people. Um, <laughs> But uh, I like when Criterion puts together these types of themes because it gives you not only an excuse to watch some movies that you might not normally want to watch, but but frames them in a certain context so you can appreciate them in a different way. Yeah, and and having them grouped together this way, because it's a genre that was big in the 80s and 90s and doesn't really exist anymore. Probably a lot of reasons, but <laughs> there might be some reasons for that. But yes, uh, you know, basic instinct. Joe Westerhouse was uh, the the writer. He'd, he'd write down on a napkin like, "Woman kills man with ice pick," and they'd give him you know half a million dollars for the napkin. <laughs> exactly. And I'm right. not actually joking. I think that actually happened. Right now, you could just say, "Please write me that napkin uh, script." In the form of Joe Esterhouse on chat GPT, and you'd probably get something pretty close. I've tried that, and, you know, it comes up with pretty good stuff. You wrote me something funny <laughs> in the theme of a particular writer. I did. Chat I GPT, did. And I, I, read it, I read it out loud to my wife. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, anyhow, so here we are today talking about, a, what are we talking about? Um, well, I think you were going to look for a status update on my uh, I am, challenge of the BFI. I am wondering what's going on with the BFI, because I understand from what I've heard is that you've passed the 200 mark. <sighs> passed it. So the, so remember, it's the, <laughs> the BFI Sight and Sound greatest films of all time, 2022 list, uh, 250 films, which it's actually 264 due to ties. Right. Which I feel like is cheating, but you know it should just be two fifty. Period. <laughs> Kick off the tie. It should be. 
Well, you know what it is. I've now I've I've gone down many rabbit holes, and I looked at you know the la- the movies that are at the end that are all tied. Yeah. And to get to that, you had to have been chosen, selected on a top ten list from at least twelve to thirteen critics. If you were at eleven, okay. you didn't you know you didn't make it. So twelve, thirteen seemed to be the cutoff. And so that means some of these movies at the end, 13 critics. Yeah, so 13, 12 or 13, a baker's dozen of uh, critics from around the world think this is one of the greatest movies. And, or historians. Um, oh, okay, right. Yeah, critics, scholars, historians, curators. That's right. All of those people. Um, clowns. Um, no. <laughs> Bloggers tweeters maybe in the next 10 years that will come to i have i think all of these people tend to um have pieces that are written somewhere they're professor at a school okay they've got some kind of credential they curate a festival they do and then i get they i think they get sought out it sounds like okay is harry knowles on the list i don't don't think so okay um out of the 264 i have now seen 234 i have 30 left Oh, wow. Okay, you really... (laughs) I've got 30 more to go. So, now, do you have the sense that you're in the dregs? Kind of. I purposely purposely kept a few titles that I think I'm going to like, and I'm sprinkling them because I'm kind of like, now we're like kind of almost mid-April. I know that I'll see some more and finish some more before April's done. And so I got a pretty good handle on what I'll have left. And I think that I can safely say that by mid-June, I should be able to see them all, though there's like a couple of titles. One title I'm, I found in parts on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it's, a three, it's kind of a three-part documentary. It's like four and a half hours total. But the times that are on the YouTube, the third part doesn't seem to add up to four and a half hours total. Oh, weird. Okay. I'm not sure if it's complete or not. So as I get closer, I'll start doing more research. There's another film that I thought you'd help me track down, but I don't think you've found it yet. And I'm going to have to look and see if it's available on YouTube or something. It's called like Under the Quince Tree Sun or something. Oh, Um, yeah. It's a documentary. I've been trying to track that down. Yeah. I haven't found anything yet. If I if I end up not being able to complete the list because I can't find this <laughs> 1991 film from Spain under the Quince Tree Sun, it's a documentary. I'm gonna be pretty pissed. But I've heard it's I've heard it's great. You have well, I did a, I, I I did try to track it down because I I knew it was on your list of things you couldn't find. So I I did a little I I read a tiny bit about it. I know a little bit. The thing is, is that I thought. Until reason. So now that I only have 30 left, I start to, once I, you know, kind of clear the trees, I start looking at what's left and kind of going, oh God, I'm going to have to watch this or that. And that's when I noticed, oh, there's some films that I thought we had kind of got covered the bases, but nope, I can't find them. Yeah. And that's where the Quince Tree Sun came in. But before that, I thought there was only one movie that I wasn't going to be able to find because it doesn't exist on any medium other than film or a, a DCP if you can find a theater that will ever show it in a retro uh-huh. house. And that is this director, Med Hondo's West Indies, The Future Slaves of Liberty, which is yes. a hilarious title in an ironic way. Yes. However, 
as I was doing my research, I discovered that the Harvard Film Archive, which is only a few short hours away from me, is showing it this Friday night, and I'm taking a drive, and I'm going to see it. So jealous. And what I'm... <laughs> I, I don't even want to talk about how jealous I am, uh, <laughs> but uh, I am... So Med Honda worked at Harvard for a while, and I think that's why they have his archives. Uh, what I don't understand is why they haven't done a digital print of, why they haven't transferred this film why why doesn't it exist uh why isn't it out available to the public it's weird this is a really important as far as i can tell uh an important film in cinema history in africa well his other big film solely old yes. is is available and it's on criteria yeah have you seen i it? haven't watched it yet okay no because you know what I kind of, since I decided I was going to see this, I felt like if I saw that one, maybe I'll have some preconceived notions right, of what I'm right, going to experience. Right. Yeah, that's a good good approach. It is playing next afterwards. I could see both that same night, but then I wouldn't get home till like two in the morning. And I don't want to be driving that late. That could be bad. So You should do I'm it. I'm only, I can't, unless if this movie knocks what me What kind of film fan are wall, you? Come on. I know, I know. I'm, I'm only spend taking the night a three-hour drive each way, so I know, so I can see West Indies. Yeah, spend the night at your uh, mom's. Don't drive all night. You can do it. Come on. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I I figured that I'll just see Soli Owen Criterion. But here's the thing, though. The last group that of movies I've been watching, there's I don't want to say they're clunkers. I mean, they're all okay films. They're just I don't see. I'm not seeing anything that would prompt me to put it on my ten greatest films list that I haven't got high hopes for West Indies. So, <laughs> so I just don't. I, I do have high hopes for West Indies just because uh, it sounds like a spectacle. It does sound amazing. So it seems like it'll be unique and interesting, even if it's not the greatest thing ever, but at least... So are, are, are there some films that you've watched that you feel like are maybe not quirky enough or that somehow just like fall flat i'm uh, are there things that just are kind of boring and flat and don't like why would anyone get excited about this you know i've had to do some of these films that i was going to pull out as examples you know i i this is my evaluation and maybe it's all wrong but when i've gone into these films I don't, I, I, now I've been so far down the rabbit hole and I've seen almost all of them that I no longer am hoping that I'm going to see one <laughs> of the greatest films of all time. Right. All I'm hoping for is that when I watch this film, it'll be engaging, that I'll kind of like it. And that at the end of it, I could say, I can see where somebody might put this on their greatest films it, it might appeal to them for a b and c reasons right you can you can see that there is some value in it as a piece of cinema and art and uh it, even though it may not personally appeal to you or be the things that you are celebrating you can see uh how somebody would value that yeah because through this journey i mean i haven't i've only found a couple of movies that i thought wow these are now like in real consideration for my top 10 of all time or at least in my top 20. And and I got that through watching um, these films. Right. But I have seen a huge chunk that I think that they're worthy of being on the top 250. And then there's other films that I feel like 
it's time to curate them out <laughs> for the next round. So it, it, give me a couple of examples of the curate them out. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm starting with the last movie on the list. Okay. Okay. That's the, it's at 264. It's tied with like a bunch of things, but it's, it's technically in the 250 slot. So it's tied for 250 of the bunch of other films. Okay. And it's a film from 1983. Mm. It's called Born in Flames by director Lizzie Borden. And I had watched some of this once on Criterion like a couple of years ago. Right. And it had an interesting premise. I mean, it's sort of like a dystopian future and it's like New York City. And basically there was a, a peaceful overthrow of the government to become more like progressive or something right but then kind of fascism has worked its way into the mix okay so it sounds interesting it sounds it sounds way interesting so i was like okay for this I'll, i'm gonna re-watch it and you know there's a feminist angle to the movie um it was directed by an avant-garde sort of uh new york filmmaker who a few years later did a movie that i think if I had to like say you must put Lizzie Borden on yeah. on the top list, the movie that I would place and I think is way better and more successful than Born in Flames is Working Girls. Yes, yeah. Have you seen that? Yes. It was big in the mid mid eighties, and I rewatched it a, a few years ago, and I thought it was still it's kind of fun now because a lot of things are dated in it, and right. just from a visual style. The problem I have with Born in Flames is cinematically, it felt like it was an NYU graduate film. Oh, okay. So it's like shot on black and white, 16 millimeter, or is it color? It really looked like something that you might have seen at Cinema St. Mark's or something. Like in one of these, like, like, do you remember that? (laughs) Okay, do you remember that girl that we knew? She was older than us. (laughs) Christina Kuda. I don't know where this is going. Yes, yes, I remember. Well, 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 I'm not going to get into a whole Christina Kuda thing, but do you remember she was like, she was like into avant-garde filmmaking and she did that movie. Was it called Small White House? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, we went to some screening of it down on St. Mark's at some yes. like tiny little upstairs theater. This movie, Born in Flames, feels like the kind of movie that would have played there for a night. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay, and that's it was, where I'm going. And with it the was story. sometimes fun to go to those, but you know, it was yeah. it was uh, it was a view into a different culture. And so, I, the reason I've been sort of hesitating during this conversation is because I traveled in the same social circle as Lizzie Borden for a little while. Oh, you did you know her? And I knew her. Oh, I mean, there's nothing against Lizzie Borden. I mean, I think no, she, no, no, she was no. great in but, but, yeah. so, I, so when I knew her, this was in the mid to late 90s, and she was uh, directing some TV stuff. And yeah. And I just looked her up, and she, I, I, don't, I don't know what her bio is, um, but she hasn't done anything since 1996. That was an episode of Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> I'm serious. That's her. I Red Shoe Diaries, Secret World of Alex Mack, and Silk Stockings. Which was like a Red Shoe Diary, yeah. basically. Yeah. One was on USA and one was on like yeah. you know, Cinemax or something. Uh, and she had this other film, Love Crimes. It, it, look, here's the thing with Born in Flames. You know, it's like people from the East Village had some right. money to make a film, right? So it has that very guerrilla filmmaking. You know who's in it? Um, acting in it is, is a young, like Catherine Bigelow is in it. She must have been friends with Lizzie Borden, and she's in the movie. And so that's, that's a kick. That's bizarre. Okay, that's funny. Yeah. The story is really interesting, and it's not that it's, a, it's poorly executed. It's just that they didn't have any money, so they just made this film, and 
So it is really gritty New York independent filmmaking in the early 80s. Right. And you can appreciate for that. However, I, I'm not watching anything in this movie that makes me feel like this has got to be on my top 10 greatest films. I'm going to submit it for whatever reason. I just don't feel... Right. I, and that's why I think that these critics, they they want to put things on for reasons, and this comes up. And my argument's more like, you put this on, but I don't think you're really think. If you want to do that, think of some other films that might be better to do that. And if you're going to honor Lizzie Borden, honor Working Girls, which is a really great movie. So uh, how many people had this on their list? Well, there was like, that's where I started getting into finding out. It was like 12 uh, people. Now, here's what I did for fun. Because I wanted to example <laughs> of just how insane the, the credit. This will kind of tell you, right? Because some of them gave their reasons for choosing what they did. Oh, right, right. Okay. So there's an there's an Ashley Clark critic mm-hmm. from the US, United States, and she picked this movie called Lamite. Don't know it. Which is this Brazilian silent film, and it's kind of like a Meshes of the Afternoon if Meshes in the Afternoon was spread out to an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense now? You get oh, me? yeah. You feeling me? That makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, it was a tough sit. It was beautiful <laughs> at times, but it was it was tough. What was cool about Lamit, it was considered a lost movie until oh. years later it had been recovered and then be able to restored. So it's kind of neat to watch a film that shouldn't even exist anymore. Right. And do you think some of these are kind of on there for that reason? Maybe. Like, do people look at it and say... This is just such a weird, interesting part of... I guess what I'm getting at is this. It is some of these people, I'm imagining the people who write on this list, and they have an experience. And we talk a lot about experience on this show and how sometimes that can really influence how you see a movie. And so if you see one of these movies with an audience that really gets it, it can affect the way you you feel about the movie. And is it possible that like, yeah, there's a lost movie that's turned up and you go to this special screening with all these other people and, you know, that ends up being kind of a impactful experience in terms of your uh, movie watching. Is, is it possible there's some of that going on here? I'm just lo- looking for an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. I mean, you know, some of these movies, certainly it would be better if I didn't have the option to like check out of them and then come back later. Um, right. But here's some of this person's other choices, okay? Uh, Jean Delmon, a lot of people putting that on there. Okay. Of course, it was the number one. At, at this point, if you just accepted that, if you just moved yeah. on from Well, Jean we're not going to talk about that because that's another one I don't feel <laughs> believe on this list either. But then she, then she also put in Born of Flames. Then she has West Indies, which I'm going to see Friday. Okay. Then a movie called Suna No Ona. Don't know don't, it. I've never heard of it. Tarumba, never heard of that. Compensation, never heard of that. The Nine Muses, never heard of that. Layla and the Wolves, never... I've heard that, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. And then she picked also Do the Right Thing. So (laughs) I think that there's a thread probably over here, and I don't want to say this is political, but there's a definite feminist bent going on here. There's, there's stuff going on behind that. What's interesting is that, you know, so I'm thinking we have scholars and curators and all, all these other people, right? It's not just critics. And often with scholars, they do really focus on a little tiny silo. You know, like I have a friend who his 
whole thing is representation of African Americans in westerns, and they've actually done a the series on that on Criterion. By yeah, so the, you know, but like that's his whole field of study, and so he he's he's not a uh, a film scholar necessarily, but he studies this. So I'm just wondering if there's some of that coming to there with, is. Yeah, okay. It, that's why I've got a, my, that's why I picked Born in Flames, and I gave every critic and what their movies are because you're going to see Anna Backman Rogers, Sweden. Okay. okay. She purposely put together a heavily female focus list. So that's like, you know, she, this was like. Did she say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, okay. she's very, she's very specific. Okay. And, and you'll recognize it's clear from the titles here. Virgin Suicides, mm-hmm. which I actually think in another 10 years, you're going to see that come up again more. And maybe that'll make the list. I can see that making the list. I don't think uh, that's a, that's a choice I respect. Um, I like that more than a, some other films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this didn't make the, didn't make the two fifty, but I liked it better than uh, Born in Flames. Uh, Wanda, which I know you haven't seen, but I haven't that's, seen. that's yeah. a respectable choice. This one's coming up. I'm going to have to see this film. I've never seen it, but it seems like it has its fan base, and it seems like it didn't have enough to make the two fifty, but it could in another ten years. Jane Campion's in the cut. I have not seen that. I've been wanting to just because I'm. I, I, I like Jane Campion in general. I've, I've liked several of her films, but I've not seen In the Cut. So Yeah, I, it comes up. I've seen it come up on other lists. Uh, so it's one that I'm going to kind of watch just, just anticipation of 10 years from now when I'm going to have to watch it. <laughs> but th- but then there's going to be a Jane, Jane Campion brawl, right? Like there's a couple of movies. Power of the Dog might be making the... A- some of these other filmmakers have got three or four films, so yeah. Jane Campion could end up with more. Um, okay, so she also put Born in Flames. Okay. Picnic at Hanging Rock, which I'm glad to see. I think it should yeah. have been on the top 250, yeah. and it's not on there. Trouble Every Day, which is a movie I'm like, what is it? But it's a Claire Denis movie, and okay. Claire Denis has her has her cult. Yep. Uh, three Women, which I wish had made the list. It's one of my favorite Altman yeah. movies. Yeah. And I would certainly have that in my top 100, probably, so... Then a movie, I think, I'm not going to, it's definitely one of my films that I feel has no business being part of this conversation at all, is uh, Daisies, as I've told you before, I hated that. You keep telling me about this Daisies movie. I, I got to hear more about it. I, I hate it. I hate it. It's it's like an hour and fifteen minutes. It's experimental, and it's it doesn't have. And people can say it has whatever meaning it wants. It's not. It, it's silly, and I don't like it. And so, it, is it your least favorite film on the two fifty that you've seen so far? Yes. Is, Daisies is the hater. Is is the one you hate it's the just, most? It's just not my bag, and I just can't see where it belongs on anybody's top ten list of anything. Um, then also, this person from Sweden. The last two movies on our list, Possession. Oh, yeah. No, I totally respect that. With Young young Sam Neil. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I it's not my, it was not my. No, it's favorite, not my bag either. I get, I, like, I, I, would get it. I, I get why people like it. Yeah, I wouldn't put it on my top 10, but I would not object to it being in the 250. But you can see where, where does it come into play is that this is a person really where she has different genres going on. But it's all very female-focused. So she picked female-focused movies with a theme. So I don't have as much problem with what she's doing. Yeah, I, I don't mind the theme. Well, and also, those are all pretty good movies. Except for Daisies and Born in Flames. 
Okay. Yeah. Yes. But but still. And and then Harold and Maude, which of course I think that should have made the top two fifty. Yeah, that's that's a great. So those are those are generally pretty good choices. I think. I'm not nitpicking out. I'm just giving you every critic. As we, I didn't do this for every movie, by the way. I just figured this would be fun, so you could see what what kind of insanity goes on. Yeah, this is fascinating. Yeah. All right, uh, Andrea Brat from Austria. I could have been okay. butchering her last name, but it could be Brat. She purposely said made a list of feminist films. Okay. Riddles of the Sphinx. I don't know that, but she said this. This is like her comment that she purposely made feminist films. So instead of picking what she felt were the greatest films of all time, right. she picked a list of great feminist films. Um, which just shows you everybody's doing their own adventure on this thing. Everybody's got their own definition of great. And, or, I mean, what, what does it actually say? What did Sight and Sound, you know, is there well, a paragraph? I'm going to get to that. Okay. okay. I'm going to okay, get to that. Okay, I can skip excited. over to where I'm going to get to that. Get okay. Excited. I'm going to do that one next just because. All okay. right. Well, anyways, Orlando, which I don't like. That's Jar- Jarman. I just didn't get it. I, I like Orlando. I mean, I didn't hate it. It's just I would never even like there wouldn't in the the annals of movies that I would put on a top ten list. I could never in a million years put that on there. Yeah, that that would not pop to mind instantly. But I do like the film. But as you know, I'm a Tilda Swinton fan. So there you go. Okay, all right. Well, there you go. Um, Amy with a capital uh, an exclamation point at the end. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I didn't do a lot of research on these titles, but I just thought I would. I'm just giving you the list. Um, the power of the dog. Okay. See, you were just talking about it. I was like, you were talking about. It. I'm like, you gotta just wait a second, buddy, because it's coming up. But I have a problem with that. Yeah. The problem I have with it is that that's um. That's just from 2022. It's like you're sitting there and you're like, out of all the movies and histories, oh, I'm going to put some... No, I feel like... Totally agree. I think that's ridiculous. I feel the same way about Portrait of Lady on Fire, which is a movie I love, but I wouldn't put it on a list yet because I haven't had enough time to sit with it. There was some critic for a different movie who they had all these kind of choices and nothing was from before 1970. And at the end, they actually said that they decided to make a rule for themselves just for marinating that uh-huh. they weren't going to pick any movie from 1970 and above, that it had to have been something from pre-1970. Wow. Okay. And so I told everyone, you, like, I, this is just... Everyone's having their own interpretation of this. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, okay. So, The Power of the Dog. Uh, this is a person from Austria. Dandy Dust. Never heard of that. Mm-hmm. Desert Hearts is actually a really good movie. Yeah. It didn't obviously have enough votes to get to the top... 250 but I, I like that one the watermelon woman now that's a film uh, that has come up it's on the 250 yeah and i have a, a similar feeling of like born in flames like yeah it's great it was made by um an african-american filmmaker female lesbian early 90s kind of ca- or mid 90s yeah. kind of captures that whole independent filmmaking movement of the 90s it was also an important film and there's definitely an interesting subtext to the movie but it's really not i mean i think that it's being championed for other reasons other than the fact of it if it's a good movie or not like i don't think it's the great one of the greatest films of all time right according to your white (laughs) middle-aged yeah well no i think that no i i I mean i'm joking objectively if you if you uh, watched no, it though. I, I know. I, 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 I haven't watched it. I, I just I'm pointing out that of course 
that would be an, <laughs> that everyone's got their own journey here, right? And that some people, yeah, are doing it a little more politically. I don't, I mean, I'm trying to think if I would put a movie on the list that I feel on my list uh, that I feel like. I would just be trying to get on the list, right? As opposed to- I think a lot of people have. And I think that, again, if if, if this is another list of feminist films, so she picked those. Now, if it's that's the criteria rather than this is the greatest right. movies of all time, I think then The Watermelon Woman's a good choice because I enjoyed it. I thought it was good in that it, it, she was featured on um, Criterion right. a couple of years ago. And I watched a few of her films because I, I watched that first and I thought it was a, a pretty good movie. But, I mean, I'm, I'm very objective when I'm watching these things and I look for other things and in terms of greatness, like as far as like, I've only got 10 slots to submit right. to the greatest of all times. That's not a movie I'm going to put on there. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, I get it. But you didn't, I didn't put it on my list of worst films of the BFI because right. it is a good movie. And I guess I can see where somebody would put it on their list if you're doing it this way. Uh, if that's your criteria. Yeah. And it seems like everybody's inventing their own criteria. So power of the dog. Already was, what, 2021? Yeah. Maybe in Austria, it came out in 2022. <laughs> Un- Unschichtbar Gegner. I don't know what that is, but I don't know she what, put that uh, on there. Okay. She put in Born in Flames. Okay. And then uh, she's stacking the deck. Another, from 2022, Austria, Corsage. What? That has barely come out. That's barely out. That's what I'm saying. So, like, I mean, when I... But that's the problem. When I look at this list... I now dismiss some of these other choices because when you're doing this, it's like you got invited to the dance and this is how you treat the top 10 list. It's annoying to me. Yeah. Spe- yeah. I mean, a movie from 2022, that's just silly. Yeah. Okay. And so you were going to, am I jumping the gun again, asking for this, uh, you know, what we could spend all day looking at all 12 of these and so i won't but i am gonna go to this is one of the the culprits of this hole in my book fiasco um (laughs) is the one of the consultants that the bfi had to figure out how they should do it this this past year is this person garish shambu Mm -hmm. he's listed as usa he's the editor of film quarterly's online column quorum Okay, that's that's something. And here's his list. He put on Jean Delmon, mm-hmm. Born in Flames, Daughters of the Dust, which is one of the most boring films <laughs> out of all of these that I watched. <laughs> Bo Travai, another one of the most overrated, especially when it's got into the top 10. I mean, this movie, what? This 90s movie called All Over Me, which uh, from the 90s, it was a great independent movie with very few people have seen. I happened to see it, but I would never have thought in a million years to put it in my top 10. The Gleaners and I, uh, Agnes Varda, the cult yeah. of Varda is back with a very fine, cute documentary that does not belong in the best of anything Yeah, or greatest of anything. In the cut, again. Oh, interesting. A movie that... Is not ringing any bells. A, a girl at my door. Don't. No, not ringing any bells. This is going to tell you a lot about this Garish Shampoo. Yeah. 10 movies. He's got 10 movies, right? And he puts on there, and this to me disqualifies this guy. Get him out of town. Greg Araki's smiley face. Okay. I have not seen it. 
Oh, <laughs> it's not even a good movie. Well, that's what I was going to say is it, it's probably not even the best Greg Araki movie. No. I, so, I mean, and then his last movie, another one I disagree with, though. You know what? In fairness, it's a lot better than a lot of these other movies that are on this top 250 <laughs> list is, is Jordan Peele's Get Out. This is the guy that they chose to help. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what am I? I mean, what am I going to do here? Smiley face. <laughs> you out of all of okay. you should go see. You should see that movie. I'm guaranteeing you, he's the only person who put smiley face in his top ten. Have you? Do you have a spreadsheet? Can you see if anyone else has smiley face? No, that's the problem. If it doesn't make the two, if it doesn't make the two fifty, oh. you can't see. You get to click and see who voted for right, the movies, right. okay. but you can't, so like something like uh, All Over Me, you can't see if anybody else did. So, okay. <laughs> I Wait, he wrote a whole thing. He wrote a whole little dissertation oh, on excellent. what his, yeah, so this is going to answer your question, so I'm going to read it, what he said. Okay. And this, I just, again, I'm not happy. This is the words of Gurish Shambu. To ask for the greatest films of all time is not an innocent question. It's a loaded one because it implicitly demands a posture of objectivity, a rational process that arrives at the correct answers and an omniscient knowledge of all global cinema that no human being could possibly possess. In short, it is premised on a fantasy. Objectivity, as the saying goes, is often little more than straight white male subjectivity in disguise. He's got our number. Well, yeah, I, I mean, so far, the reason I haven't interrupted is because this is pretty standard stuff. And it is no accident that a question that demands an objective response has the effect of making us all deliberate, cautious, nervous, anything but reckless. In other words, the question exerts a strong gravitational pull towards what has already been deemed great and enshrined in the past, i.e. the SWM canon. The straight white male can't. Why not just say straight white male? Why is it, uh, he is not a straight white male, and so he wants. And so now it's like this idea of takeover. But I don't agree. No, but why the acronym? Because he's because he's being obnoxious. Okay. Um. Here's my. But so here's my thing on the reverse. So it's kind of saying, well, in order to I guess disrupt it, we got to pick all sorts of goofy stuff. It, it, if these really are what this person feels are the ten greatest. Then I'm interested right. in these diverse opinions, but instead we're not getting that. That's what's going to disrupt the sort of quote unquote canon is people coming up and honestly giving their assessment. Because what is he really saying is, is that people who don't fit the SWM description, right. are they also, if really put to the test, also going to vote for those movies? And then it's like the idea of well, what makes those movies great because they're great. He's just looking to strip the apple cart. Did you get to the end of his thing? No, no, no. no. It gets worse. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah, I think that, okay, so a lot of what we're talking about, I'm familiar with in terms of the literary canon and how that has been discussed over, I don't know, at least my lifetime. It's There's been a discussion about the Western literary canon and how it has excluded, how it's colonialist, how it's uh, straight white male, all these things. And the canon is now being sort of torn apart and dismantled and reintegrated. And 
So I see this conversation going on all the time, and the BFI list is an extension of that conversation. And I personally, I don't feel like it's an easy answer. I don't think so either. Yeah. And and so I'm not, I'm definitely, I, I feel like the Western canon has a lot of junk in it. Uh, sort of the traditional Western canon. There's a, there's just a lot of junk. It's like uh, in terms of uh, it film, like, yeah, we don't really need to still have D.W. Griffith, right? Like we can get rid of, like we, we can take him out of the canon, right? And so there's certain, in literature too, there's certain people, it's like, yeah, I'm not so sure. And it's not, it's not so much that they're being canceled. It's like, okay, here's somebody I've canceled in my classes. <laughs> I've canceled Ezra Pound. I won't teach Ezra Pound because he was uh, an explicit and dedicated and outspoken fascist and anti-Semite. So he's, he's out of my personal canon. I'm not going to teach him, but, but I'm keeping Polanski. But keep in mind something here. So, but we're talking about a couple of different things, right? As far as canceling, and then when you were talking about teaching film, like so, if I if I was looking at like, give me two hundred and sixty four movies that we should like use to teach people right. about film. That's a different mission than two hundred and fifty of the greatest films of all time, where a lot of these films right. I might look at as a good teaching lesson for 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 you know teaching aspects of right, film. Right, but it doesn't necessarily go on the greatest list. Yeah, I see what you mean. If I get through this shampoo thing here, I will go into a couple of other films, and I'm not going to go into the list of all the people, yeah. but just of films that I also feel, like I feel in a small agreement with him is that, yeah, there are certain films that I watch now, and most of it were the silent movies, that I just don't yeah. think that they are that great. And then just because they may have done something first or or what have you, I just look at them and say, no, if anything, maybe they taught people that there's ways to make these movies better. Um, and I feel like most of the silent films I watched are just, they just killed me to watch them. Can you give me an example of one or two, one or two of those? We're going to do that right next. Okay. Okay. So the prospect of abandoning this impossible objectivity is intimidating because that would mean breaking the rules of the game. And yet, that is exactly what we must do. To be fair, the poll rules provide an opening by specifying that the idea of greatest is open to your interpretation. And into this breach, we must step. Reclaiming subjectivity, our distinct lived and embodied experience, and our radical differences, despite our shared passion for cinema. In the last decade, the single most powerful influence upon my own cinephilia has been the ever-intensifying realization of a central injustice in film culture, the marginalization of women in every single realm, from financing and production all the way to film criticism. My list was produced using a simple personal rule. These are the films that I have admired and returned to the most in the last 10 years, which honestly, I think that is mother effing bullshit. I don't believe him that he has returned in 10 years to the smiley face movie. No way. Because if that's true, if that is true, that's actually not a bad criteria. Yeah, but I don't think that there's no way that he's returned to John Delmon more than once in his life. Right. But there, you know, there definitely are movies that I go back to and I put them on my list because of that. Like, I've, I, I don't know. I'm debating, say, uh, whether RoboCop is going to go on my list. 
Of, of, of just 10? You only get 10? No, no, no. Definitely not 10. You know, give me a break. So this is the conundrum we're in, is that I what I, what I think, if, I, if we remove all of the obnoxiousness from what he's saying, is that if you really just pick what you think are the 10 greatest films, yeah. you're going to have that same list over and over again, and there's never going to be any differences if you can't break out of your comfort zone. And as I've now seen how most critics handle it, if I was to be able to submit a list in 10 years yeah. or less, I might consider, okay, well, in my 10, maybe I put ten, uh, five films that I really think are absolutely the greatest films, five of the greatest. Yeah, right. And then maybe other five, I might, you know, look to say, you know, these are great films that deserve to be in a top 250. Right. And they may not be your top 10, but you think they should be in the top two. Okay. That's an interesting strategy. And I, and that's where I've come full circle from when I started this thing where I'm like, I don't understand, you know. So now you're understanding the subjective angle a little bit more, which I think, you know, I got to say, again, we talk a lot about experience on this show. And I think that that, that making it more subjective or personal kind of is an admission that part of this is experience, right? It's not watching a movie is not a totally objective experience. It is a, a something that can be affected by all these other factors. Just in the interest of time, because I mean, I don't want to bore people here. <laughs> I'm like, Koresh and Musa. There's other movies that I just, again, through all the criteria, any way you slice it, and these are movies that obviously made the list that I just could not see. And again, I haven't done my research on every single one to understand why, but... right. We were talking about my not-so-love of uh, silent films. Yeah. And it's great that there's been so many of them that I've been able to evaluate and realize that I still don't really love them, though there's been a few that have had some moments, and I'm not including those, but... I appreciate the fact that you're not uh, pretending to like them, uh, you know, because, well, I'm serious about movies and therefore I respect, you know, I like these silent films. There's a little bit of a poser thing maybe there. So you're not doing that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, like, okay, there's two and only two. It's weird because there's a whole 264 list, but it seems like with Charlie Chaplin, everything has fallen to two movies. Yeah. City Lights. And Modern Times. And Modern Times. And I watched City Lights, and I and I enjoyed it. It was easy enough to get through because it was on the cusp of sound, so that there were sound effects, a soundtrack, okay, yeah, and that some noises, and that helps when it's just not you know just title cards. And he's such a fascinating actor, director that he can he understands comic timing. But yeah. it was also I thought a little repetitive. Like okay, like this could have been a short, <laughs> right? And then Modern Times. It floored the me. I, I, it's an absolute masterpiece, and so okay. I, I, you know I can be objective and subjective. It's like yeah, yeah, no, that that's good, yeah, yeah, and that and to me that suddenly that's in my top hundred, like for sure. I love it. Okay, but here's a movie that made it to the top one hundred, <laughs> and I don't think, and I feel like this is where I'm, I'm agreeing with my my man Garish Shambu <laughs> that <laughs> things have to be reevaluated. I couldn't in good conscience ever put Buster Keaton's The General on my list. Right, because it's basically Confederate apology, right? Well, it's almost worse than that, is that, and, and again, this is something that we could go in a deeper discussion, but it says a lot about America. America, sadly, most of was so racist at the time that a movie that was about the 
Civil War in any fashion wouldn't play down south if the Confederates weren't the heroes. Yet they lost the Civil War, but right. that's where we've still treated it as that nostalgia. And so Buster Keaton, who may have himself not really been racist, and uh, maybe, I don't know, he made a decision that was very much okay back in the 1920s that it would be a story that focused on the Confederates being heroes. Right. And that in itself, and some of the little tiny bits and moments that you can zero in on in this movie, The General, it's bothersome. Right. Um, I also feel like the movie goes on too long where he's doing some very repetitive things. And after a while, like, I'm, yeah, I get it. You know, what I like about the film is the set pieces. And that's generally what I like about Buster Keaton. And a lot of the other stuff I'm not that into. But the yeah. construction, you know, like the train is really amazing. It is, but it goes on. I mean, like, again, I watched it and I'm like, at some point it wasn't amazing for me anymore because I'm like, yeah. he's just repeating. It goes like he does things a bit too much. And yeah. that happened a little bit with this other film that's in the top 100 too, Sherlock Jr. And that's not a, oh, like, yeah. a shorter movie. It's only like 45 minutes. And yeah. This is where I'm in agreement with Garish Shambu. I mean, I, I mean, if you ever heard this, I, I know you, you, I mean, we, we give him some lumps, but at the same time, I get it. Like when he probably sees these movies and is like, "It's time for those to be moved aside." Well, especially a movie like The General, right? Where it's like content-wise, it's it's objectionable. It's like Birth of a Nation, right? Not quite as bad as that, but which well for years uh, it was I think in the top ten of Sight yeah. and Sounds list for years when it first started doing it, yeah. and then over time. But he had another film. Speaking of silent, I thought this movie was trash. Was uh, Intolerance? D. W. Griffith's response to yeah the blowback on uh, Birth of a Nation, and it's so ridiculous and hokey. And he almost had an affront that people didn't understand his intentions. Right. Instead of it movie being really about intolerance, he took the approach that those people who didn't like what he did with Birth of a Nation, they're the intolerant ones. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that people need oh, to have more wow. tolerance. It's the most ridiculous screenplay. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> probably my like second least favorite next to daisy but i think you know that's important is like that's exactly the kind of uh swm movie that we don't need in there right but also i feel like taking out something like the general is along the lines of me taking out ezra pound it's like the content is kind of objectionable whereas i will make an argument that chinatown is you know we can cancel Polanski, but I don't want to cancel that movie. And that movie is in the two fifty, um, and it probably well if it wasn't for the reevaluation in the last ten years of Polanski and like younger critics horrified by that and can't separate the man from his uh, movies, it probably would have been in the top one hundred. I, I watched it in the last year again. It's amazing. Uh, it really is a complex movie, and you know what? I think for various similar reasons, a movie that is quite frankly kind of a masterpiece that people aren't even allowed to say that they've seen is the pianist i will say though that i you know this is all very sensitive stuff and we're all trying to do our best to find our way through it i would hesitate to teach chinatown now whereas i didn't 10 years ago 
you have to explain that because you're afraid of reaction from students that say, but how can you plant and then getting into trouble? Which of course it's its own version of like silencism and fascism. <laughs> like It absolutely is. It's a, I don't think I would get in trouble, but I don't want to have, have to have that conversation. And there's plenty of other movies I can pick. Uh, yeah, I basically I I, I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into it, and so I just do a balanced syllabus, and that's that. And I don't get complaints. There's plenty of good movies to learn from, and like like for instance, Anna Faris's great performance in Smiley Face, playing a stoner going out throughout her day, according to Caress Shampoo. <laughs> My point is that, <laughs> that, you know, there are sensitivities here. I don't have the, the right answer. I'm sort of feeling my way through them from syllabus to syllabus and right. trying to be aware of these things. And I do know that when I put in a movie like uh, Black Klansman in my syllabus, that I get a great response from my black students who are like, Thank you. I've um, I've been represented in the class. Usually, that rarely ever happens to me. Well, you know, it's funny. It, it, segue into something: a movie that I haven't seen on anybody's list that I've come across. It didn't make it to top two fifty, but yeah. you know, with Goresh Shambu's sort of mandate to shake things up and have more diversity and have more representation from women and LGBTQ filmmakers, there's a film. That is, to me, one of the most important movies ever made by <laughs> a black film director. And that is Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Now, yeah. 1990, I see that in a film class. And it shook me up. It shook me yeah. awake. It was alive with filmmaking, bursting at the seams. So many of the techniques that seem to... Um, really invigorate all these critics the types of movies that they put on yeah. it's got everything and yet it's nowhere and i only imagine that it's the subject matter and the fact that it's a male filmmaker and that his right. character plays like sort of a stud and, and 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 things like that that he gets knocks against him um and there's also an, an uncomfortable opening sequence well there's also a genre bias in the list and what's that well there's not a lot of, there's not any grindhouse there's not any uh there's not much horror there there's not a lot of genre films it's it's largely dramas adult dramas there are another sort of grouping of movies i, I like and in the future we may go into some of the groupings that i've noticed but like and if you go into to one of those individual films and then you look at those critics lists there are people that like totally are just into the old classic cinema and that's all right, their choices. Right, right. Right. Okay. They just no no new stuff. And and I also don't agree with that, you know, like right, through yeah. the whole history of film and pick out some stuff or that's, that's equally uh, upsetting the apple cart in a way, right? Every single person is going in with an agenda on this. It seems like there's more of an agenda than I could have even imagined. And everyone has a completely different agenda. Because if your agenda is like nothing after 1970, well, that's an agenda. And that's an agenda that's going to kind of land you in uh, straight white male land. Well, like, well, for instance, Wes Anderson. Now, the directors don't get included with the critics. So if they put right, one of their right. films, it, it gets counted only separately. And they have that 100. And there's much fewer directors. Wes Anderson, yeah. 
he he submitted a list and, and and on the whole the directors seem to have a better sense of like really great movies versus like right. all these weird oddballs it was anderson picked 10 movies that were all french just because he's spending time in france it's insane. That's to me yeah. not right. I don't believe like that's sure there, there's 10 great films that are French, but there's so many French movies on this list that yeah. he didn't do any. I felt like he didn't really do any hard work. Right. And okay. So there's, that's a category, huh? Laziness. Then there's movies and it was the sec, probably just as bad as Daisy's, maybe worse. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, and also in terms of the fact that you know, his films are not everyone's taste. We did a whole show on them, uh, but yeah. there's other films that aren't on this list that if you had to sub it out because you just had to have another Godard film on there, you could have. But Godard put out this video series on t- on like French TV called The Histories Du Cinema. Yeah. I guess 12 to 13, no more because it was in the <laughs> top 100. People yeah. put it on their list. And I have a major problem, not only because it's terrible, And it's just a weird essay that doesn't make any sense. But the fact is, it's not a film. It's a TV show. And and a documentary at that, right? Or an essay. Well, documentary. See, it's an essay. It's a TV show. It's not. Maybe somebody has shown it in a theater. So someone thinks it's qualified. I don't think that counts. And so that should just be like, look, let's put a, let's put another movie on the list. Let's get that out. That does not belong there. Yeah. It was not, it's hard, uh, hard to sit through. Um, and then another one, look, if it counts, I would definitely put it on my top 10. Cause I think it's one of the top 10 greatest things I've ever seen is Twin Peaks, the return. Right. That's not a movie. It's a TV limited series. So we should draw a distinction. So what about, uh, out one? Out one's a different, it is an interesting case is that it was supposed to be for TV, but TV rejected it at the time. So then it was released only in festivals. And so technically, if you were going to, if you could, if you want to put specifications on this, which clearly nobody has, there's a lot of things right. that I would say we shouldn't qualify. But I have to say, having seen all of Out One, I would never put it on my top 10 list of greatest films of all time. However, I think it deserves to be on this list because it's fucking amazing. <laughs> Okay, so it deserve and and it, you do consider it a film, whereas Tw- Twin Peaks and Histories to Cinema off the list for you. Yes, except that if they don't change, if they don't, if they don't want to change the rules, well, sure, right. I would consider Twin Twin Peaks is just phenomenal, yeah. but it's also it's like that's like I mean again, seventeen hours. It was not designed to be a film, right? So, and and also. Once you open that up, then suddenly you have yeah the Sopranos. Like, could that be the best? Because to me, Sopranos was amazing. Or even documentary series. Yeah, I mean, like Ken Burns stuff. So I just think that there's yeah. a, there's a point where you should put some parameters. Um, and in that vein, there's a couple other things that were just not that I think was yeah, some I of the hear worst. That. And mind you, they as I suspected, they seem to show up on critics who are making lists of, like, one person specifically said, these are all experimental movies. I have a big problem with that, right? (laughs) The the greatest films of all time are all these weird experimental movies. There is nothing that probably should belong on this list less than Michael Snow's Wavelength. Is that on YouTube? I couldn't, where is that? How do you see it? I found it on YouTube. It is 45 minutes of a loft (laughs) in Canal Street in, like, the late 60s, early 70s, and it's like under sort of a time lapse where this video camera kind of like pans slowly throughout the building. 
and you're just watching this for 45 minutes, though somebody kind of drops dead at one point and there's a body uh-huh. on the floor and this is it. And there's also this annoying wavelength sound that grows in intensity <laughs> as if there's like a, 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 a it, so it's like a punk on audiences and this should well, only be art, seen. It's an art piece, right? It's like, an art it, piece. Yes. Seeing that in a museum would yes. be one thing. Yeah, as a yeah, right. And you walk in to the booth for a few minutes, you watch and go, yeah. okay, I'm out of here. And I go to the next yeah. exhibit. <laughs> I just that's like to me, you know, when I think of Steven Spielberg, <laughs> he doesn't have a single film on the on the one hundred, and he has, you know, Jaws and Raiders. Two of his like big popcorn movies are in the yeah. two fifty, but like something like Schindler's <laughs> List and they're they're not, but then this movie is on there. That's where it's like, no. And I feel yeah, the same way about an, another experimental movie by Derek Jarman called Blue. <laughs> you told me. Yeah, go ahead. That's now, like wait, an okay. hour and 20 minutes of a blue screen. Okay, that's what I thought it was. Just like 90 minutes of a blue screen. Is there music and talking? or So this, it, look, the backstory of it is fascinating. Derek Jarman was, was dying of AIDS. And he had lost his sight oh, okay. and it was almost completely blind. All he could really see is the color blue. Oh, wow. So he has himself and another narrator and Tilda Swinton does narration. There's these thoughts that he wants to get out to the world about his experience, dying of AIDS and other things. And it's kind of poetic and it's kind of dreamy and he creates a soundscape. And so if you were in a theater, which I was not listening right. to this while this blue screen, it, it, it's interesting. I didn't actually hate it. I mean, I did not hate the movie. Well, cause it sounds like the content is interesting. So it's almost like a podcast with a blue screen. Yeah. And these were made <laughs> at a time when we didn't necessarily have sort of some of the mediums right. that we have now, but to me, like, I know that people, it's almost like people want to try to get something on this list so that people will discover it. Right. Versus the fact that you're supposed to be making a list of the greatest films of all time. And there's just no way I could I could ever see anybody really believing that this was one of the 10 greatest films. Right, right. I yeah, don't even that. think it's great. And I think that just because people want to be like, oh, there's got to be other ways that you can tell people to watch a movie that's good. We do a whole show and- the movies we talk about aren't all on this top 250. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. But uh, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Each person kind of has their own agenda is trying to shake things up a little bit. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, what would my agenda be? I'm not sure exactly yet. Well, now maybe I feel like I got to get an agenda if I'm going to do a list. <laughs> Here's the other thing. I feel like, and maybe, maybe I'm just being a grumpy old guy here. But I feel like knowing that your list will be published and people can look you up and see what your 10 is, it makes the 10 not just a suggestion for the list, but a part, but, but a component of personal branding. Right. And so that means like here, I'm the person who made this list and therefore I am cool, basically. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I could go on on what cool means in this context, but let's just leave it at cool. Uh, and so I think there is a little bit of a showing off kind of uh, branding effort going on. As in, 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 that's an angle to the people's agendas anyway. It's not about me agreeing with all of their choices, but I want to see something going on in this list that I can say, all right, you know what? There's like one that maybe this was their personal taste, but this person, Eli Horrit, who's an historian, he had this obnoxious reason for his list. He wanted to go against the grain to show future post-apocalyptic generations what film was all about. <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing here, but he picked like... He picked like uh, these weird movies that really were focused on like humanity or dystopia or other things other than if the movies were great. Okay, that is hilarious. Uh, so, <laughs> so basically, so basically, Sight and Sound asked everyone to come up with their own definition of greatness and pick ten films that fit that definition. I guess, and people just decided to sort of shoehorn fit whatever they wanted that definition to mean. Yeah, no, it's it's create your own definition. They <laughs> they weren't provided with a definition, so <laughs> and so that's where on one hand I'm like, well, then why am I effing even doing this experiment? Right. Why am I torturing myself? But I'm still going to torture myself and watch these because you know what? It does increase my film knowledge. There's some good stuff, even if it's not great stuff. And it, it sounds like there's a couple of terrible things, but there's also some interesting stuff. And every now and then you stumble on something really kind of cool and uh, possibly even great. Maybe not on your list, but you know something you can respect. Well, I saw some Powell and Pressburgers that I had never seen before that were pretty good. And then there was one yeah. that like, I'm like, Powell and Pressburger, I think have more films than any other director or director combo on the entire list. I think that's right. Yeah. And because of that, I have to say, I can't see with some of the great ones they have, why you would consider this one movie. I know where I'm going. It's just the weakest of them. It. I would agree that it is the weakest of them. You've seen it? Yeah, I did a Powell and Pressburger festival that I, I, I did. I went to, I attended a Powell and Pressburger festival in the 90s and saw uh, like, I don't know, seven or eight films in the theater in uh, over a two-week period. These two are like some of the most thoughtful and inventive filmmakers. Well, and I would consider putting Black Narcissus in my top 10. Yeah, I mean, again, see, this is the thing is, I, I can, like, because like, I only get 10 slots and I want so many yeah. more. And so I really have to like decide, like, uh, like, do I think that Black Narcissus is one of like the 10 greatest films of all time in my estimation of the 10 movies that I have to pick? Maybe not. But there's something that's like compelling me to want to make sure yes. that's on the list. And I, I understand where some people might think, well, 2001 is the greatest film, but someone else is going to take care of that for me. Right, right. But I don't think like that because I want to make sure that that's high on the list. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like the top 25 though, you know, I, I might do some reshuffling, but there's, it, it. it's a pretty good top 25, 50, you know, I think. If you combine the directors and and uh, critics list, I think there's a, there's that's good. There's good movies in there, and there's some hidden gems. And you found one recently, which we won't talk about today. But 
Oh, we, oh yeah, we're kind of late on that. Yeah, I don't know. Should that even be, that shouldn't even be qualified as a hidden gem because that's like a a great film. However, I even recognize with that movie. And just for the people wondering what the hell we're talking about, we won't talk about it today, but uh, I did watch as part of this, I watched Antonioni's Red Desert, um, and I had never seen it before, and I I, I loved it. But I yeah. also recognize watching a film like that, there's people that would just be like, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I thought of the, <laughs> here's my description of Red Desert. It's like a remake of a Bergman film that's a remake of a Godard film. Because it has like the plot structure of Weekend, but like the psychological intensity of Through a Glass Darkly, but, you know, remixed by Antonioni. <laughs> yeah, that one is a good one. Like I said, there's those. this is another reason to do this list. Like, like yeah, Red Desert. It's a film like I felt like I should have always have seen. And yeah. This was a great excuse to watch it, um, and I really also liked it. Didn't it's not even in the two fifty, which is crazy. It's on the director's list. Is Antonioni's um, La Notte, and oh yeah, yeah, that movie is phenomenal. Like that is just so great, and the second half of that movie is just like. He just understands. Yeah, so Lanot or Lanote is great. And then I still have one more Antonioni uh, film I'm sort of saving because I'm going to need some movies that I... Because I seem to like Antonioni. Um, I need to save some things for my sanity for the last sort of go around. And that's Leclerc. Okay, yes, which is supposed to be great. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that. Plus, Monica Vitti, I'm a fan. Uh, I got to tell you, she's amazing. And How can you not be a fan of Monica Vitti? Oh, yeah. I mean, she just says, she didn't hardly says anything in the movie, right, of Red Desert. But man, her face, she just says so much. It's great. Yeah, she, yeah she's phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that film at some point in the future. Maybe we'll do an Antonioni episode. But So anyways, I don't know, people, what we've accomplished here. <laughs> we've had some gripes <laughs> about the list. Well, and, I, uh, no, but I think we, we, we've dug into, you know, we're, we're trying to explain or what the canon is and this uh sight and sound list <laughs> the white male canon the white male canon well we're you know we're exploring it's an important discussion to have about representation and voice and uh film history is quite strange and uh has definitely been systemically racist and uh misogynist at times this is what i'm angry about again this isn't a, a list of movies like, here, we're going to give you a new canon of list of movies to teach. Look, people should be always looking for different voices and representations. Yeah. That's a different than than the greatest. It's, you can't change the past history <laughs> that the fact is that right. some of the greatest films of all time happen to be made by white males. Right, because that, that's who dominated the industry. Right. So he feels like it's like, but we can change all that. So would you, you want to whitewash or reinvent history just because? That's not... Right. Over time, it's great to have new things come in. I, I also have a problem, though, with like maybe put a cap on nothing from the past 10 years so that people actually have to do some homework. Right. And I th- I think the past 10 years is a reasonable cap because it's... I, I don't know. I just... Again, some of these lists... If, if you have Avengers Endgame on your list, that's inexcusable. Uh, yeah, there's just, no, they, there's they, no. I told you about that one critic. Yeah, there's no way to justify that. That, that. that can't, like, there's no argument I would accept that would put any Marvel movie on any top 10 list. 
And, and just for you, the audience, we didn't talk about this online, but there was a critic that I was looking at their choices and everything. And th this was a, a woman critic. Um, and she didn't put any female directors on her list, right. but she had like, it was like four or five Spielberg movies, uh, Empire and Star Wars, and then it was Avengers Endgame, and it's like, you know, just like I don't like people who have all these like stuffy, very obnoxious right. scholarly choices, that's maybe going a little bit too far in the other direction. Well, but I can understand one or two, right? You know, I'm thinking about my top 10 list from last year. I've got a couple of weird outliers on there. Right. And, you know, I can, uh, like two, I have like two weird outliers. And I could understand turning in a list that has two, one or two weird outliers and some that are, you know, I, I would just try to find some balance in my own list, I think. Uh, so anyhow, I'm looking forward to our next BFI episode when you will present your own list. Is that what's going to happen once I finish? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm going to do all two. <laughs> I'm going to do 264 of my movies that I think. Yep, you're going to do no. two. Yep, and we're going to do, do it all in a 30 minute episode. <laughs> Great. Well, then you'll just have me. I'll just <laughs> rattle a list up, and you will not interrupt. Um, oh, and no, I know okay. you have to interrupt, or else you never get a word in with me. <laughs> I just never. I'm like a motor that just can't get turned off. Um, <laughs> All right, so let's wrap this up, and uh, we'll do, yeah, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, we'll do more BFA, BFI in the future, and uh, yeah, go see some stuff, and uh, contact us, email us, uh, don't Twitter us. Uh, we no, don't Twitter. We, don't do we, we quit Twitter, and uh, we're on Instagram, and we are yeah available. We're working on Substack. Yeah, we're, we're, we got that gearing up. In but the in the meantime, let us know if there's some movies that we should see and talk about. And some of you do, by the way. And I, and I never, even if we haven't gotten to them, like somebody suggested recently a, a film and, and we will talk about it. Um, we we got to get back to doing those fascist uh, episodes. We got a lot of movies to talk about. So we will do that too. Yep. We got lots of good stuff coming up. So keep listening. And I also look forward to you seeing and reviewing Smiley Face for me. Oh, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Greg Araki's oh, Smiley Face, his sort of uh, sort of commercial venture that Goresh Shambu thinks is one of the 10 greatest films of all time. Okay. Can't wait to see it. You're right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>